Hello, welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the Advanced Player Guide for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Before we do that, Buddy, I want you to the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. What it is we do on this podcast. Um, on this podcast, we talk about games, and we are, we are doing a big throwback. We used to do these much more often. Uh, I guess Pathfinder was putting out more content back then um, when it came to sort of these Pathfinder book reviews in a way. Uh, this one is specifically for the second edition Advanced Player Guide, um, which came out pretty recently uh, and has a whole bunch of goodies uh, from new classes to new things for old classes to just like new systems uh, and ways to customize your character. Uh, kind of like all the all the core stuff that like a Pathfinder supplement is supposed to give you, right? Especially from, like, the player side of things. Um, it, it has a lot of new options for folks who, you know, like... I feel like Pathfinder 2E always sort of had the core experience, right? Like, you can play a human fighter, a dwarf cleric sort of thing. But now you're getting into that territory where it's like, well, haha, I want to play a, you know, uh, a Kenku rogue or whatever. Oh, I'm sorry. Kenku is the other one. Tengu is the Pathfinder version. Kenku is the 5e version. Is that right? I'm not sure. It sounds like... Just like one of the Raven... Ro- the, the, the Raven boys. <laughs> yeah. The, the, those both sound like different romanizations of the same Japanese word. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, just kind of like from the top, there is... Uh, there's one, two, three, four, five new ancestries, and then... Like six ish new, uh, like uh, heritage, like heritages that you they're like half races that you can plop, plop on top of anything. Maybe it's five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Changeling, Dampier, and then the Planar Scions, which are Asimir, Tiefling, and Duskwalker. Um, and uh, and then there's also some new feats for the 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 base uh, ancestries. Uh, and then you've got the four uh, four new classes: Investigator, Oracle, Swashbuckler, and Witch, all returning from. Pathfinder 1E, um, something like 40 new archetypes outside of the multi-class archetypes um, for the uh, uh, for, for the existing, uh, uh, or for the new classes, and uh, then like a handful of feats, a, ha- a, a bunch of new spells, and a bunch of new items, um, uh, mostly uh, individual items. Nothing like you know. There's a couple. Uh, there's there's a couple of different unique items for the different ancestries, um, like uh, like like claw blades for cat folk, and uh, there and sword canes because the investigator can't come into being without a sword cane, of course. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, the place that I think so. Uh, Buddy hasn't played a lot of PF2. Have you played any PF2 at all, actually? Uh, outside of what we tested, essentially, at Gen Con, tried around with at Gen Con, I have not played any Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Okay, so I am I am currently playing in two-ish, maybe it's more like one and a half Pathfinder 2B mm-hmm. games. Um, all predate this, so I haven't had a chance to jump into it yet, or into some of these new things yet, but... Um, playing around with kind of the character building systems, uh, I feel like I feel like a lot of people felt that PF One E kind of came into its own around the Advanced Players Guide. I definitely think that's true for PF Two E, and this is mostly because of the archetypes. The archetype, the, the new kind of list of archetypes, 
Um, what's kind of so bold about them is, or not maybe bold is the wrong word, but what's kind of so interesting about them is that there are a lot of archetypes that just kind of um, have like these very basic character concepts in them, which will really allow you to customize an existing class, right? Like, um, just to kind of point some of these out, there's like Archer, there's like Two Weapon Fighter, and there's Mauler, which is like a two handed weapon specialist. Um, and like, in addition to some really interesting ones, but these kind of base ones, I think there's also one that's like uh, armor based called the Sentinel. Um, these are, and the Two Weapon Fighter is called the Dual Weapon Warrior, I think, formally, yeah. Um, these kind of basic archetypes really let you kind of throw those types of things onto an existing concept if you wanted to do something a little bit weird, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you wanted to do, like, the archer or sorcerer, whereas before you could kind of halfway get in there with either elf or uh, or hobgoblin as an ancestry and kind of sideways into there using their... their uh, uh, their, their their ancestry heritage or weapon heritage feats. Um, Archer lets you really kind of take that concept and just you know at level two you grab the uh, you grab the archer dedication and you're you're an archer. Um, and uh, obviously you have to put away you know put away some of the uh, your, your base class feats for that. But that really like gives you that customizability that you had in PF one And I think the important thing here is that by doing them as archetypes, you've um, you've kind of limited the amount of uh, what I will call fuckery that you can get with PF one um, Archetypes mean that you have to spend at least three feats um, uh, taking taking stuff out of that archetype before you can grab a second one. Um, and so, like, kind of the wacky stuff you get in PF1, where, like, you did, like, single-level dips because levels were weirdly less of a resource than feats. Um, you, you you were kind of, like, locked into these feats for all. Also, to keep, like, weird kind of one-off feet. First of all, there's not so much splat, so you can't get as much of that feet creep as you did in, uh, in 1E. But the fact that, like, if, say, you wanted to enable, say, a regional kind of specialty, right? Like, um... I think one that's showed up so far is like there's like uh, the the like living golem I, I, or living living construct uh, archetype is in one of the earlier books. Um, you can't just kind of mix and match features feats with that. You have to like take that and dedicate to it. And if you want to be an archer on top of that, you have to after you've gotten your your living construct, you have to get your you have to get at least three of those before you get your uh, your uh, um, what is it your your archer feats or vice versa. You have to get the archer feats first before you move into the living construct type of stuff. Um, I think that really kind of rounds out the game. Um, on top of that, you've got some really cool, art, interesting archetypes in here. Um, like, Cavalier was kind of a weird class in 1E. Um, now it's just an archetype, and that makes perfect sense for where it belongs. Along yeah, with something I like got that feeling quite a bit when I was looking at Cavalier. Um, and also just, like, some of the smaller archetypes, uh, right, like that, that feel like they could be classes. Like, yes, sure, maybe we could branch out the martial class, like, class, make a real class out of that. I have, you know, like, one of our very first episodes was going over a class that I wrote for, uh, like, a martial-type character. Um, but at the end of the day, I think kind of downgrading that and saying, you know what, like, this is an archetype that can live within, you know, something else. And if you're a paladin, if you're a, a fighter, if you're a swashbuckler or something, right, like, you might opt into some of these martial class features via an archetype. Yeah, 
and uh, in addition to that, you've also got kind of the some of the classic archetypes, right? You've got Dragon Disciple, you've got Eldritch Archer, um, no no uh, Serpent Archer though, which is one that I was hoping would make a comeback from uh, <laughs> Paizo's three. That was back when Paizo was making three point five supplements, so you know uh, that's a real callback. I think we should petition like Mark Seifter to put Serpent Archer into something. Um, yeah. He might listen too, just because you know he's uh, he's like an ascended fan. But that's that's besides the point. Um, but yeah, um, also just some cool thing, like some cool like experimentally type of things, right? Like um, Talisman Dabbler um, and Scroll Trickster are like you like scrolls, you like talismans, talismans being the consumables you get from. Uh, you, the consumable martial things, you can kind of dig into those with these archetypes and kind of make them your whole, like, part of your your, your base class idea. So I'm, I'm super happy um, with the archetypes as a section. Um, the new classes, I think, make perfect sense. They're good callbacks. I think they're pretty good implementations of, uh, of what was the... Um, uh, what were their wanting iterations... Uh, did, did you have any particular thoughts on any of those? Um, I so for for the classes. Well, how how deep do we want to do we want to go? I guess uh, as deep as we want to. Also, feel free to comment on the archetypes. I didn't realize I kind of steamrolled over all of that. If you have stuff, to yeah. Talk I mean, about. I do want to. I do want to talk about some of this stuff specifically. Um, but I'm but I'm happy to like also kind of like give give this sort of like high level overview. Um, uh, so I don't know where, like, where do you want when it comes to digging into the details, right, and showing off some of the coolest stuff that's in the book? Where do you, where do you want to start? Um, so I, I so for me personally, the, the single coolest thing was those those kind of base archetypes um, to to th- to throw stuff like those like that archer, um, which also is like just to point it out some one of the really cool things that they do too is like the like. These archetypes also can use feats from other from the classes, and they will list what feats are are, are available. You can just kind of grab those. Um, yeah, like the assassin gets poison weapon, which is otherwise a rogue feat, um, as part of its list of of feats. Yeah, uh, or a list of available feats. Yes. Uh, right. But yeah, I thought I, I just think I think that this this design is just like super clever. Um, but did. Uh, did did anything kind of did anything in particular stick out to you kind of fresh faced coming into this? Right, I'm obviously colored a little bit by like what I've already seen and played with. Uh, yeah, I so I was definitely energized by it, right? Like, I mean, I, I called out the Marshall earlier because it's like obviously when I saw this whole big list, right? Like, what's the first one that I'm gonna click on? Um, it was it was like the Marshall, which does like some cool stuff. And the the thing that struck me most about um, looking into the different archetypes was how much they benefited from creating a solid foundation on which like these uh, these abilities kind of make sense. Um, the Marshall has so as a Marshall, you can choose to either be intimidating, right, or you can choose to be inspiring. One using intimidation, the skill; the other using diplomacy, the skill, right. Um, and part of what makes the like the Marshall cool is they have these stances that they can like opt into, and the stances will give you either like a bonus weapon die and damage, or they'll give you like a plus one to attack or whatever else, and you have to like activate them by hitting a a certain you know threshold for your diplomacy or your or your intimidation check, right? But that sits on top of the stance structure that they had already set up elsewhere in right 
the uh, Pathfinder 2E system itself. Um, and so I think that that's really, like, like really neat and really interesting. And the one – and, like, one of the – core pieces of how these archetypes work so well is because like they were able to create and define certain types of actions and abilities in a holistic sense and now when you are looking you know like when you are looking at any of them in an individual sense right um you immediately kind of understand where these things uh are coming from and how they work because they they have that kind of like callback i guess yeah um like Whereas you had a lot of kind of text in 1E that was, you know, copy-pasted from various and sundry places to explain mechanics, you can just kind of, like, like ride that all on these on these tags, which I think make a lot of, like, make, make a huge amount of sense, right? Like, um, like you're saying, Dread Martial Stance, which is the Intimidation version, it's got the Open Tag and the Stance Tag um, and the Archetype Tag. The Archetype Tag is not super important for, uh, for our purposes here, but those those carry, like, game semantic value and uh they like inform how those mechanics work and they don't have to spend you know seven pages explaining all of that kind of thing um yeah i mean the one of the crazy things about these archetypes is most of them are just a page right yeah um and you just kind of be like oh oh okay i get it it's it's like it's quick and it's simple the other thing overarching about archetypes that i that i was really interested by is the way that they are effectively also kind of backgrounds uh, this is something that I've always wanted to see in a tabletop system, and I have yet to have seen a system do it very well, right? Which is systemizing your background such that it is, like, cool and interesting and, um, you know, it's, like, something you engage with. Yeah. This is something that, that I feel like never used to happen. In, in Pathfinder 1 First Edition, because it's something that you pick at level 1, to sort of describe your backstory, where you are coming from, right? These are kind of traits, right? Um, you are away from, and you are kind of like farther back from that in a mechanical sense, right? Like I never think about the plus one stealth bonus I got from my thief background um, when it came to first edition Pathfinder. But here I have a really interesting and straightforward way. Like if I want my background to be an herbalist, right? Like, this is my. This is something that my guy does, and this is something that he has been doing for a long time. Well, here's the herbalist archetype, and it gives you power over time, and it's very like active, and you are opting into using it in the way that in the way that you kind of like end up using it, which actually reminds me quite a lot of the the way that Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay would um, systemize these things, which was surrounding kind of careers, right? Like you had a career. But you could also change your career or, like, get into a better career um, by buying the items or, like, you know, like, buying the items that you need in order to ascend and then spending a certain amount of uh, experience to get there, right? Like, so when I played Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, I was playing Ruprecht Drakenhof, the hunter, a human hunter, um, and he upgraded out of that basic career of being a hunter into being a i think he was like a trick archer right where he which would just gave you like these insane bonuses to archery and also some cool stuff where you could like make your arrows right like you know like you could like cut rope and stuff with them with these sort of like trick you know uh entertainment value sort of approaches to how how like a like an archer would work and so that felt like really satisfying because you were it was kind of like describing not just your you know 
what like whatever class you were, but like kind of your organic place in the world and moving up through like through that that progression in a way that wasn't like that wasn't just well I'm a level six paladin not a level one paladin um and I feel like archetypes kind of carry that same sort of energy right uh because the the feats that open up at level six at level eight or I'm sorry six at level 12 um are really interesting and I could definitely see people who are who are creating their characters take a lot of advantage of the archetype feats um to to represent that in a way yeah no I I absolutely agree with that, and I think part of this, too, that I think is uh, super interesting is uh, the Game Master Guide calls us out explicitly is these are also things that you can, like, kind of give out as rewards to your players if you wanted to, right? Like, um, like the basic, like, one of the more basic ideas is, like, if you're playing, like, a sword and, like, if you're playing, like, a classic kind of, like, Knights Roaming the Countryside campaign, maybe you just give all of your players the Cavalier dedication um, so that, you know, they can all, like, be decent knights, um, or on like in kind of like a like a, a way that like you know the games we've played we've ha- given out either custom feats or we've done like uh, like Mark uh, used to do uh, relics or something like that. Instead of that, you can just kind of like you've kind of got these things prepackaged in a way, right? Like yeah, um, you can give like you can give uh, say like uh, let, let's say your your characters uh, been like you know didn't necessarily go this way but ended up using his medicine skill a lot. Um, you could give that character the uh, the medic dedication, uh, uh, and you know, maybe not even give them anything else, but it kind of like you know that kind of like lets like like kind of opens that up for them in a way, uh, and uh, and and it, it's a way to kind of like grow the characters a little bit more organically if you wanted to take that approach. But I think your your point is is, is uh, absolutely uh, just as valid. Like it, it kind of. Um, Let's you build your character in that direct direction, um, while not being strictly tied to the uh, the mechanical background which is present in the system. Which um, there's some more of those in uh, in in, uh, in this uh, in this book as well. Um, they introduced the concept of rare backgrounds, um, which seem to just mostly be uh, have a lot of um, uh, what's it, have a lot of uh, how do I want to put it. Um, like uh, R, like uh, RP weight rather than super mechanical weight. Although there are a couple yeah. of uh, new mechanical abilities in here, and and you know, again, things that I think are excellent from from the system as a base. Marking those as rare makes it hard for you to get them without GM permission. Uh, uh, I think I think a couple of these archetypes are also uncommon. Yeah, like the Dragon Disciple um, archetype is uncommon. So. You know, you can ask your GM, and I think like the like the, the way it seems to be shaping up to me is like uncommon is like the the the, the attitude I get around it is, is like uncommon is supposed to be kind of like if you ask the GM will probably give it to you unless there's a specific reason to ban it, right? Like uh, the these examples of this for me are like the spells that kind of make certain things not an issue in certain campaigns. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've uh, talked about that before, right? Yeah, like, yeah. the ability to create water in a desert campaign where, like, you know, yes, thirst is a thing that you have to deal with, right? Yeah. Um, or something along those lines. Yeah, or, like, speak with dead in the uh, murder mystery campaign. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a great example. Yeah. Um, uh, but the... Uh, uh, and, like, on the, on the other hand, uh, it seems that the rare ones are supposed to be, like, a little bit more exceptional. 
um, which I think is, is kind of an interesting way to, to kind of type all of this stuff. Um, okay, um, so here's something I'm interested to get your opinion on, because uh, it's my last sort of thing on archetypes, and then we can and we can move out of here. But I, I did have a sort of, I guess I almost want to call it a concern, right? Like, I don't want to say that this is a bad thing, but this is something that definitely, like, I saw it, and now I'm thinking about it more. Okay, so something that the archetypes have done that you highlighted earlier, right, is that they have archetypes for, you know, a dual weapon warrior. You, they have archetypes for Mauler, which specializes in, you know, like beating up guys with two-handers. Bastion specializes in using a, like, using a shield, right? Um, and so there's all the, there's a couple of these things here that are explaining or that, that that are that are sort of like a decompressing sort of weapon types right and saying like okay well you know like maybe you want to play a mauler but you're still a whatever your base class is sort of thing okay fair enough um i typically don't love systems that do this sort of thing because i feel like it devalues like the martial classes in general this is something that comes up like okay so obviously this is something that comes up a little bit when it comes to, like, WoW RP. And we've talked about this in the, in the past, where there's this idea that if you play a warrior in WoW, you are kind of, like, inherently less powerful than everyone else. Because, like, a lot of classes are effectively a warrior plus something crazy, right? Like, you are, if you are a paladin, you are already a warrior. You are a capable fighter with your two-handed weapon, right? But you also do magic, right? If you're a death knight, you are a capable fighter with your two-handed weapon. But you also do sort of, like sort of like magic right and so i bulk a little at that this sort of like spreading around of martial stuff without spreading around in kind of like equal measure like you could imagine there could be eight archetypes that are just one for each of the schools of magic right um and it's like you get access to like one spell per day of two you know like of of spell level like two or less or something and you know, maybe you are now a, like, uh, a rogue, but you can also opt into being a little bit of a, you know, I don't know, illusionist or something, kind of along those lines, um, by taking, by taking that archetype. Um, how do you feel about this whole kind of, like, top, like, top? I, I, I don't want to say that it's a bad thing, because obviously I haven't played with the system, and I don't know how it, how it, play, it plays out, and I kind of suspect that just, like, the ability to use an archetype to opt into regular casting of a spell would be really powerful and not something that Paizo is willing to kind of, like, open the doors on compared to sort of martial systems. Um, but, like, what, what, what are your thoughts on that sort of perspective? Um, so you can actually opt into those archetypes that let you cast spells. They're the multi-class dedications for the individual classes. And I think that that's... Oh, I see what you're saying. So if I, if I multi-class into wizard, then I would get this stuff? Yeah, well, because the... Like, Interesting. Yeah. yeah, multi-classing is an archetype of... Like, essentially, it's an archetype, there's an archetype wizard that you can find in the, in the core book. Um, and you can pull feet from that, and you get more and more of the spells through that. And you end up having to give up a lot of your um, base... Uh, base class ability in order to pick those types of things up. But the same thing is true with the, these archetypes. Um, but I think that the fact that there's like just like no generic version of magic casting, which is why you kind of don't get that. If that makes sense, I do take your point that like there's a maybe a risk of genericizing the fighter a little bit too much because um, and this is the thing that happened in PF one as well. Um, but the the different weapon specialization. Uh, uh, or, or uh, 
combat style specialization, I guess call them archetypes here, give you a little bit more such that, like, even a fighter might want to take it. Um, mm -hmm. Although I, I do... Hmm. I mean, I think maybe, like, like a fighter muller might not be great just because... Like, be, just because I, I think the dedications are a little bit weaker on face, and... Uh, and, like, the Mauler dedication doesn't do a lot for, say, the fighter. Maybe. Yeah, no, so the thing so the thing uh, I feel like that, in a certain sense, I'm missing is uh, I haven't read, like, the first edition. I haven't played the game in forever. It, you know, came out two years ago. So I haven't looked at that first edition core rulebook in a long time. So I, there, you're right. There isn't anything in here. But I think you, that if I wanted to sort of dip into these other sorts of schools of magic and, and add a little spellcasting to my character, um, the multi-class versions of the archetypes would be the way to go. Yeah, and you could also do that with, uh, like, th there are a couple in here, but those are, like, you know, that's the Witch and the Oracle, um, if you wanted to, to, to jump into that, but, uh... Yeah, yeah, because as I was looking, I was like, I'm really surprised that there's less, there's so little magic in these archetypes, um, was, was like, the, the kind of basis of that thought. But I do see what you mean, especially, like, you know... Um, I feel like the Mauler is not there, is definitely not there for the fighter, right? Like, the fighter already has access to essentially all of this stuff and can do it better. The Mauler is there for, like, a cleric, but, like, a cleric of a particularly, like, warlike god. Yeah, like, Gorum. Who wants to, yeah, exactly, right? Like, who wants to be, like, a frontline combatant at the same time that he is a, you know, like, that he is a cleric, but isn't willing to go all the way to champion, so to speak. Um, and in a certain sense, and, and this it kind of bridges us neatly into classes in a certain sense it kind of reveals some of the old multi-class systems that they um added in the you know that, that they added in i guess that was the advanced player's guide 2 in pathfinder first edition to really sort of show like you know where the the thing that made that cool was a little bit like how we talked about in scholomance right where you're looking at two classes and you're saying okay what is the overlap between, like, what is yeah. the cool, interesting overlap between these two things, and how can we, like, really zero in and make that neat and awesome, right? Um, and I do think that there were very good answers to that question, right? Like, I think the hunter was a really great arc, or uh, not archetype, but, you know, a, a combination of the ranger and druid, who are already, like, very related, but specifically focusing on that animal companion and saying, like, okay, you and your animal companion are, like, way more connected than anybody else and their and their animal companion. So it kind of like finds that, you know, like it finds that sweet spot of here's a mechanic that we share and let's let's drill deep um, into what makes it fun and interesting and compelling um, and, and center a, a whole class around that idea. Um, but then there were also versions of this, like the war priest that we were a little bit meaner to, like that we didn't have as much, um, I guess, grace for. Um, where, you know, it was kind of just sort of, like, shoving two aspects of, of classes together. And in a certain sense, I feel like those are handled well in the archetypes, right? Like, I can make effectively a war priest by taking cleric and archetyping into Mahler. Or archetyping into assassin. Or archetyping into, you know, whatever, pirate. Um depending on, like, what my deity is to give me that sort of flavoring of, of a cleric. Or if I want to be, you know, like, a battle mage kind of wizard, right? Like, I could choose wizard, but then also pick up, you know, any of these any of these other classes um, or any of these other archetypes to sort of, like, fill out my, my melee 
uh, abilities and my martial abilities um, a certain a certain amount. But what's interesting is that they have highlighted a couple of classes for us where the you know like that kind of combination did sort of come together. Um, specifically in the Investigator and the Swashbuckler classes, which were both APG2 classes, uh, Investigator being a combination of Alchemist and Rogue, uh, yeah. and Swashbuckler being a combination of Gunslinger and Fighter. Um, and I think Swashbuckler, the, the APG2 version of Swashbuckler, is probably the best of those classes from the APG2 because it is so unique and it adds so much cool, interesting sort of flair um, by essentially taking the systems that were available to the gunslinger and adding them to the, you know, like that, that melee fighter base, uh, uh, I keep wanting to use the term archetype and then I'm like, well, that's a technical term. So I need to use it. I need to use a different, that style, I guess, right? Like that fighter style. Um, and now they are just full blown classes in, in and of themselves. Um, what, yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts on, on those two? So, so, so. I thought Swashbuckler was a, like, in 1E was a great kind of, like, backporting of the Gunslinger mechanics into something a little bit more kind of, like, like generic, right? Because, like, Guns- Gunslinger had, like, some cool systems with them, but it was, like, locked to the gun thing, which, you know, is cool, but, like, it's, like, weird that it was, like, on this very specific thing that, like, totally doesn't necessarily fit with a lot of the rest of the game. Um, and so, I, like building that up again from kind of the base with swashbuckler, right? Like panache is a state rather than points that you spend. Um, uh, I think is a very cool way to kind of do that. And I think that swashbuckler is like a really kind of good, um, uh, like you're, like you're saying, I'm, I, I want to go back to archetype, but like kind of like, I want to like, you know, like, uh, like, uh, uh, yeah, let's call it like kind of like like character archetype rather than kind of mechanical archetype um, to kind of hone in on. Um, and uh, uh, in terms of the investigator, I actually think that the investigator is super well done here because it wasn't trying to like. I think Swashbuckler worked pretty good in one e. I think investigator kind of faltered, and I think they've built built basically it's, it's because you're not basically trying to staple all. Um, other mechanics together in a way to get the old investigator. I think it works much better in this system. I think there is a weakness to the investigator in both systems and that it is kind of a, a lot more um, reliant on RP in a way that isn't going to be consistent in games, if that makes sense. Um, basically, mm. basically, I think that the, 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 the kind of the big quote-unquote problem is that Pathfinder at kind of its core is a combat game that has other aspects to it. I think this is true for all the D&D likes. Um, and your class almost primarily determines your your combat style more than it does kind of anything else that happens. And it just has, like, weird reverberating effects, right? Like how sorcerers um, and, like, sorcerers end up being a lot of faces for parties just because they have a high charisma for the casting stat. Um, um, and I think that they've done a very good job here of giving you a lot of combat stuff so that, and like um, exploration stuff so that uh, so that the investigator isn't so tied to those kind of like freewheeling um, less systematizable RP stuff that, that it was but I think it's still kind of much more in that kind of RP world than it was or, or, or than, than any of the other classes if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. I remember um, 
when I, like just the other day when I was looking at the investigator and I saw that one of its like headlining things was this devise a stratagem uh, ability, which is at the at the start of a round, effectively you roll a d twenty. And you choose an enemy in that in that encounter, and you roll a d20, right? And you get to see the results of that roll. Um, and then you, when you first attack that enemy, you have to use the results of that roll, and also, like, it uses your int and stuff like this and all this other kind of, um, you know, like, all this other sort of stuff, right? But I was just like, what the, f- what, what the fuck is this? This is not an investi- like, what a weird thing to to put as kind of like the first couple of abilities for an investigator right uh but it's there because the other abilities which i think are very cool abilities right um pursue a lead is like an entirely rp ability essentially where you are you know examining the details of clues and stuff like that um and you have to give them some kind of like combat functionality, right? Like, what is it? What is the thing the investigator does that is uh, that is like unique and a good cook for what a lot of parties will spend a good amount of time, uh, you know, doing, right? Even in in very RP heavy parties, typically that looks about fifty fifty. Um, it feels like between kind of like RP and combat in in Pathfinder. So you you just have to give them an in somewhere into into those systems and those mechanics uh of the game i understand what they're going for with divides a stratagem and i think that it's kind of like i don't know it's it is neat and i applaud the game design of it sort of more than than anything else right like i think it is cool that like I will look at a, a guy and then I'll roll, but I'll see my roll is bad and I'll be like, oh, well, now my strategy is very different, right? I am not going to beeline it for this dude. I'm going to avoid him because I know I'm going to miss on my first attack. And so I need to, you know, put my effort kind of like elsewhere. And so that's cool. That's that, that's sort of neat. You're creating this prompt um, that allows for the investigator to express that sort of tactical you know strategy and and insight um but i don't know it just feels very weird on on the investigator character to have like one of these one of these things just be that feels like it's not an investigator thing i guess to me yeah I, well, so so what it is is i think is that um they're clearly trying to capture a couple different um uh a couple different kind of uh again I, I like a, let's call them like icons right like there's definitely a uh a Sherlock Holmes in here, and there's also definitely like a Columbo in here, um, which is kind of what the methodologies are supposed to highlight, right? Um, yeah. Uh, empiricism versus interrogation, and then I uh, love no, I love the methodologies. Um, you know, like having the alchemical one, but also having the interrogation one or whatever, right? Like you can see how the pointed question is very much pointed question is an ability, right? That allows you to ask a question, um, and you and then like kind of try and force an answer out of them um and that's neat that's awesome right like that's very in keeping with what i would expect from sort of an investigator character but it is definitely a uh it's definitely an rp thing it's not a combat thing and if you're in the middle of a dragon's lair right like you're not going to ask the fucking dragon a pointed question so uh, so the the reason i brought that up is that this is supposed to be that scene in like the show right where like you know the 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 very smart character like like does like one particular like pointed action and he hits something and and then like he spends like the next 10 minutes of the episode explaining exactly why how he set all this up 
to like make it happen, right? Like you basically back backfill like the the show ba- uh, backfills what happened in the background. And I think that's what divided stratagem is supposed to be, right? Like you doing yeah. that is supposed to be like ah, and I saw that like you know. He he was weak on his right flank, and so I stabbed him in. You know, I I, I poked him in his kidney, and, and that caused him to fall over, and that's why we have won the day, type of deal, right? And uh, mm-hmm. without like like there like I've seen systems um, uh, that like like explicitly mechanic make, make, uh, make that a mechanic. I forget which system it was, but it was kind of great. It was like you basically you you explain why things go exactly as planned, and as long as you can spin a convincing enough tale it works and that's like that's obviously for a much softer system than this but i think this is an attempt to do that without making it as, like yeah. you know as much like that and so i think that that's a very clever way of doing it like you said i think that, i just think like maybe if they'd been a little bit more explicit in the text about what that was supposed to be it'd come across a little bit better um because mm-hmm. this, this is supposed to be you know like, like i said this is supposed to be you know the brilliance this is why it gets your intelligence bonus to hit Right, it's it's supposed to be the brilliance of the investigator shining through, rather than the, uh, um, uh, r- rather than kind of like the the raw brute force. Um, I think it's a very cool thing. It's just hard to it's it's this class and uh, this like an archetype there too. I, like it's it's not the investigator, not in the same way as the investigator, but like the dandy um, and the vigilante. Right, are all things that like kind of like dance on the edge of this RP thing and are hard to necessarily. Inter- integrate into a game the thing the thing i think about with these is like i think the investigator looks really cool i'd love to play one i don't think i want to play one neither a say a pfs scenario or a published adventure bath because i think these things shine the strongest when you've got a gm yeah this is like this is like Beauregard, right you yeah. played in a game with a gm who's very story focused right like that kind of a class is going to go really well um, yeah. whereas you might get a little bit bored if you're just playing like a beat-em-up barbarian uh, with no social abilities. Yeah, and, and and kind of on the other side of this too is that like I think you, I think even in in games that are like I think in say like a, a theoretical game like I, so so maybe this is me criticizing pre-written adventure paths a little bit too hard, but I think in a game where the GM is in full control of what's happening, um, uh, rather than trying to like at some level course correct to the to the uh, to the adventure path. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Right, like it is kind of like our Star Wars games, right? Like, yeah, we talk yeah. about this all the time in our Star Wars games, where things go, where things happen, and they, and you know, and it's funny because we we almost kind of complain, well, that was kind of not a super climactic ending, but like when you lay it out, when you, and you kind of show like, well, this is the good decision making that you that you made, and because you expressed that agency in a way, right? Like you are able to accomplish the goal efficiently. Um, that that's sort of you know like that's sort of the place for for a guy like this yeah and, or a class like this yeah yeah and you know I'm sure that there are GMs out there who can masterfully uh, incorporate all of that into an written adventure path but I think it's it's just kind of tougher to do that uh, especially if you don't want to just like then go rewrite the entire rest of the adventure path um, uh, which is what you ended up doing for uh, for uh, yeah for Hell's Rebels yeah, yeah for Hell's Rebels I uh, mean you guys did choose to team up with Barzillai through and like the big bad at the end of the third book but I but like you know, like I said right that's that's a moment of real agency that dramatically changed the trajectory of the story so you know yeah um, <laughs> but yeah um, that was a lot of kind of uh, words spoken about the investigator in particular 
Um, yeah, so I do I do want to be nice to the investigator and say that the investigator has truly shown that it is greater than the sum of its parts, right? Yeah. I think this is true for both the investigator and the swashbuckler, and I think that's part of why like they, they, they work as these APG2 classes in the APG1, whereas they kind of, uh, they let like the gunslinger and, um, and cavalier, they didn't, they, those, those guys did not make the cut this go-round um, when it came to APG classes. And it's because, right, like, when you look at the investigator, you don't see an alchemist slash a rogue. You see a like a real fully formed class in and of itself, right? Um, and I think the same thing is true for Swashbuckler, right? Um, you know the the way that they had built the Swashbuckler in uh, Pathfinder One was marrying that sort of fighter style with those gunslinger mechanics but it did kind of bear this fruit of well there's actually a lot of space for this kind of a fighter like this kind of a melee combatant in the system that is unique and is not you know derivative of other you know like of other stuff whereas like even if i think the hunter is great and i do think the hunter is great and i think that it was a really neat class that had a lot going for it and i would love to go back and play pathfinder one hunter if i ever play pathfinder one you know game ever again um that in pathfinder 2 feels much more like uh you know something that happens within the ranger or within the druid space yeah Do you know what i mean yeah, and if you wanted even more of that, you could throw Beastmaster on top of it, essentially, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah I, I definitely feel like that's something that would be that would be very natural. And it's funny because, like, I do think that there are other classes like that. For instance, we really took we really went hard on this class when it came out, and I do still think it was not super well written, and I wouldn't want to play one um, in you know like in a real sense. But the shifter feels like that to me i think you could make a very good shifter class uh that is unique from being druid um in in pathfinder 2e right like i think that th there is space for that to exist in the same way that i sort of think there is space for you know both the sorcerer and like the wizard or right like the champion and the cleric um as sort of like similar concepts uh, that 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 are close, uh, and there are pl plenty of other. You know, like Pathfinder added a gazillion different classes over the course of its run, uh, and there are definitely a bunch of other ones that I would feel like. You know what? I would be happy to see that one return. Let me let me let's bring back our old friend. You know, whatever the Slayer. Um, Slayer's not a great example. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah. So I do want to be a little bit nice to the Swashbuckler or to the Investigator and say that you know it really it really earned its earned its spot. I guess. You know, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I, I do want to spend a little bit of time on Oracle because I think Oracle was like a really, I think, I, I think Oracle maybe even more so than uh, the investigator, the swashbuckler was, is an excellent example of something brought forward. Uh, maybe not more so, but I think it's definitely in this. I think actually all four of these classes are actually really good at this. Um, okay. Um, maybe the witch is a little bit weaker, but like, um, Oracle was kind of a surprise to a lot of people because, like, well, I thought you did giving the sorcerer the ability to pick whatever spell list they wanted so you didn't have to do the Oracle. And, like, ah, but there's still something special about the Oracle that we can bring forward. And that's this kind of mystery um, uh, mystery and curse combination, which I think are really, really neatly done. Um, I think one of the keys here is that they've tied mystery to curse so that you can't just, like, pick the curse that doesn't really matter so much. Um, which is kind of what happened in uh, in uh, in in Pathfinder One. If you were really meta gaming it, like there's there's like weird ways that you could play around with the different curses, um, even on like a kind of a multi class level. 
Um, but uh, I think that uh, that the 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 Oracle did a has done a really good job of kind of like bringing in some of these uh, like bringing in like a something that kind of functions a little bit fundamentally different from a cleric um, in in making kind of like a, a different flavor that you can, that you can kind of embrace if that makes sense. Um, like I think that the the kind of thing to think of here, even though like we, we spoke previously about how like you know there's no real kind of class that like necessarily um, embodies. Or, or there's no kind of like generic arcane caster, right? Like that's like you have to pick one of the instantiation of it for that to make sense for multi-class. I think that mm-hmm. the kind of like tiers of the uh, or like the kind of pillars of the four different um, four different spell lists, I think actually work well as kind of like you know the cleric is one instantiation of divine spell list and the oracle is a different one. Um, uh, and there's some weird interplay here too, because like sorcerer and witch both kind of pick their spell list, um, but I think that it's uh, it's it's a uh, it, it's 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 a well done version of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I really liked the sorcerer take that they had, which was kind of you know, like let's root the wizard in arcane magic, but the sorcerer can kind of root around and find other spell lists if he wants. Um, which is also true of, you know, like, which is also true of, of the witch. And so I, I guess I agree with you. I think that that is, that stuff is interesting. Um, I, wa- I liked the Oracle more than I liked the witch when I read through them. Um, the, the witch had a lot of like flavorful stuff, but I, I don't know. I guess I, I kind of got that, like, this could have been a subsection of another class, right? Probably honestly Oracle, right? Like the witch could have been a subsection of the Oracle class. Um, where it's just, like, the mystery that you take is sort of this, like, patron. Um, which is also maybe, like, a little bit a little bit mean and a little bit unfair. But I think that I think that you were very correct when it comes to the Oracle. And, I don't know, I like the Swashbuckler a lot. Those two, I think, are really great. Um, yeah. And probably the classes in here that I would want to play with the most. Um, so, so when I, it comes to, pet, to, to Pathfinder 2E. I think the weakest part of the Witch is that it's not more Warlock. Which is what I think it's trying to be the equivalent yeah, of. Yeah, see, that I, I agree. I think it should, maybe with less spellcasting, imagine a world where it's like, I don't know, just less spellcasting and more hexes and, and that kind of stuff. And there's, like, cool flavorful stuff in here that I think gets at that a bit, right? Uh, the lessons, for instance, are, are kind of sort of this this thing. Um, but it's just a little bit too much of a caster, I guess, is, is how I feel. Yeah, I think I think I buy that. Um, I think also like, I think, I think the witch should be, should have had the ability to break the three point limit on focus points. Um, maybe or no, maybe not. Maybe not, like so. I, I'm thinking about so. I, I do think that the the closest analog in say D and D is warlock, and warlock refreshes its spell pool. It has a small spell pool, but it refreshes it after a, a short rest. Um, and that's effectively what a what a what a focus pool is. So maybe that's not so bad. Um, yeah. Um, I just think that like so like what in the one of the very few kind of player things in the other book that came out with this, which is the uh, uh, Legends or Lost Omen Legends, um, is there is a a limited archetype. Like all everything that happens in Lost Omen Legends is limited. Like you have to get very special permission or like you know have be like be best buddies with the person who's who's doing it. Is there is a uh, basically a white witch archetype uh, under Baba Yaga um, that lets you oh, use, wow. and she's like you get a witch's patron for her, 
Yeah. Um, or she actually, which is patron, and she, uh, what is it? Oh, uh, like her familiar is instead it can be an inanimate object, and I think that should just kind of be available as a thing, um, uh, like for for characters, right? Like like uh, my uh, my warlock in five E doesn't have a uh, doesn't have a familiar. Um, that set of options lets you get basically a familiar, a kind of uh, uh, a a a more fighter-y weapon-based one, or like a tome in mine's mine's like a spell book. I think that would be like a better like if that 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 kind of thing. Maybe not necessarily a weapon, but if like you could do more universally, say like a uh, a kind of like a, a like a like a spell book as like kind of the signif- the signification of your pact. Um, that would work well with kind of like this uh, agent of of your patron type of thing, which is you know how you get kind of these deal with the devil things, which is what I think the witch really wants to 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 be more. Which works with the with the familiar. It's just less. It's less flexible there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. All right, we have about ten minutes left. Uh, what do you do? You have anything interesting to say about the ancestries? I guess. Let me. Let me. Let me. Let's start there. Yeah, let's as as we go backwards through the uh, through through the sections. uh, I feel like it's like that. I mean, I I didn't take a look at the spells and the items um, just because, like, without the context of playing, I didn't feel like I had a great handle for those. So, if there's anything in spells and items that you want to highlight, but otherwise, I feel like ancestries are kind of where we're at. Yeah, spells are uh, spells are always kind of like hard to go through. It is kind of like read them through. Um, Yeah, it's like am I just gonna like sit there and read this alphabetical list of spells? You know, like no. Um, so, so before we move too far away from classes, I do want to highlight a couple of the options that got added to the base classes. Oh, sure. Yeah, actually, we didn't talk about any of those. Yeah. Um, so we got Evil Champions, which, um, honestly, like, they're fine. Um, I guess if you're running an evil campaign, they make sense. I'm still waiting for neutral champions, because that's the things that I think are more interesting. And I think, honestly, the thing that will get more play than, uh, evil champions but uh, I guess like getting the anti paladin in it makes more sense than getting in like you know the uh, you know the, the champion of law, which is which is the thing that I'm really mostly interested in. But you know we'll we'll, we'll see those when they get those. But um, bard basically got a uh, a a battle bard archetype, which I think kind of takes the place of the scald. Um, uh, and I think ah, my 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 hated enemy, my sworn enemy, the scald. So so I think I think kind of solves that problem, right? The scald yeah, was just kind of like absolutely. weirdness and and like the battle bard with say the marshal. I think kind of gets into that scald territory, mm-hmm. um, super well. Um, and like I feel like you could introduce an archetype that's kind of like more flavory scald, but I think that's where it belongs as like an archetype if you wanted to do that. Um, yeah, I did want to. I did want to quickly ask about the uh, the evil champions. Uh, I feel like these are completely unplayable. Like, I, I guess I should have expected this given the way that like the tenant systems worked and everything. But I remember reading like Desecrator has this one that's subvert or corrupt anything in your path that is pure and good, and so doubt among those upholding such ideals. And it's just like. What Jesus, you know, like I, I, I don't know. I have a very odd relationship as a, you know, as I've gotten older with the with the alignment system, and I want the alignment system to be like bigger and kind of like more important. And I like the direction that they took with the champion, you know, and all of this other stuff. Um, but part of me feels like I just have a different view. I do want to see a world in which I can be an evil, you know, like I can be an evil champion in a party with 
mainly good people doing mainly good things, right? Uh, and this kind of makes that impossible, which I was a little sad about. Do you do you have any feelings about that? Yeah, um, I think I think the desecrate I think the desecrator is particularly bad, um, right? Like I feel like there there might yeah. be some room in the tyrant. Um, I also do like the anti paladin, and I think I would love to play an anti paladin, especially in a much more like you know, murder hobo -y game. Yeah, uh, yeah. The anti-paladin would both be hilarious and also kind of awesome. Like, you must not bind yourself with any law or oath beyond that of your code. Um, you <laughs> act dishonorably, take advantage of others, lie, cheat, and steal to get what you want, which I was just like, I read that line, I was just like, that sounds really fun, <laughs> right? Like, that sounds awesome. That, that also um, sounds like chaotic stupid with like an, an in-rules mandate. Which is like yeah the... yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminds me of. Do you remember the one shot that we played at Gen Con where I was playing the troll slayer or the dwarf slayer, um, and uh, and we were like investigating the cultists, and I wanted the cultists to finish summoning the thing because as the slayer I wanted to kill that yeah. thing, right? And I walk out of the tunnel, and there's, like, the the Inquisitors, like, the Witch Hunters who are, like, there investigating this. And I say, sure is a shame we couldn't summon that demon, though. It's like that. Yeah. Right? It's that, but in a whole character, which I thought was was uh, was great and was cool. Uh, but, you you know, you couldn't run that in a normal campaign. You'd have to be, like, really on the yeah, goofy murder-hobo side to get that, there. That or you'd have to be playing, like, a weird evil campaign, right? Like, and, like, yeah. or, like, like uh, it's... It's tough, right? Because, like, it is hard to make any of these super work. And especially since uh, enemies are totally divorced from characters now, it's not even like, you know, oh, this is a GM class type of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like they, like, yeah, I feel like it would work in a murder hobo. Um, I feel like you could maybe get the tyrant to work into something, right? Like, you know, yeah. like... Yeah, I think you can play the tyrant for sure. Like, in a knight's campaign, right? Yeah. Where, generally speaking, you are more lawful than good. Uh, I do think you could probably get there with uh, with the tyrant, right? Um, where you are just, like, the shitty asshole bad boy of the party. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also, like, some some of these, these tenets are just a little bit too strict in order, like, you know, bind the weak to serve you. It's like... Are you like required to like go enslave halflings or something? Like, yeah, like I, what happens if I walk into a tavern and I could easily kill the fat tavern keep, but I want a, but I want a beer? Do I have yeah. to bind him to serve me? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like I, 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 I feel like you can get away with some of that by being like, well, the law says you can't do that, so you know, and you're bound by the law. Um, yeah. Um, and like working, like you know, th I think this all has a kind of like a working within practicalities type of clause somewhere in the in the original mm -hmm. book. But like, I, I definitely agree with you that that it's, it's it'd be tough to navigate in a in a quote unquote real campaign. Um, yeah, uh, it really makes me want to play an evil evil champion though. I keep calling them paladins, but, I, yeah. but yeah, I, I want to play an evil champion pretty badly. Uh, <laughs> I think that would be sweet. Yeah, uh, but. Just to kind of like get to some of the other things that I thought were interesting in these additional stuff um, was uh, the, so alchemist gets like a poison focused uh, 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 research field, which I'm like kind of should have been there from the beginning. I think yeah, we talked about that not being in there beginning. What the fuck? Yeah, um, but now it is. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Ranger gets it's like you know how like Ranger had like weird spells in in one uh, e. 
it's kind yeah. of got that in uh now now it's got that as like feats you can opt into as focus spells which makes sense this is kind of how it works for the paladin as well um again a thing that i thought was a little bit weird that wasn't in in uh in the core rule book but now it's there again um and uh, uh what what is it oh rogue getting the a mastermind racket and or, so there's two of them there's eldritch trickster and mastermind um eldritch trickster gets you a uh like lets you like multi-class early which is super interesting um i like uh uh, uh or no oh, it's not an archetype it's a it's a magical trickster rogue feat um but, the, but i think that these two these two new rackets are super interesting um i think mastermind is pretty good at being like a little bit like a being a little bit of an investigator without being a ton of investigator if that makes sense um and like definitely being kind of like that like mastermind rather than uh, uh, kind of like detective which is what investigator is um, but yeah and also you get a bunch of new uh, stuff from uh, for sorcerer um, and it looks like there's some like expanded familiar rules um, but I haven't looked at that really closely so um, just want to highlight a couple of those things but the ancestries um, the ancestry that I think is the most interesting... Well, so, I think the idea of making changeling dampiers in the planar science as heritages for all races is a very cool and smart move. Um, and I, I also agree with that quite a bit. I was thinking about that. I was like, oh my god, this is so sweet, right? You can play, like, an ace mare, right? Like, dwarf now. Yeah. Whereas you are traditionally human. Yeah. And uh, also we'll probably, like, maybe, like, for GMs at least, make it feel a little bit less weird to have, like, a half-dwarf, half-orc or whatever... Um, since, uh-huh. hmm, since they are, uh, uh, you know, th- since they, they drop these things, I think that Duskwalker is the most interesting of any of these, uh, heritages just cause it's new and, uh, has a lot of, like, it's yeah, not, so is this brand new? Was it like in any of the, in the splat that I just never, had never read? Not that I I'm aware of. I have never seen of. it before. Um, okay, yeah. At I least, at least not in this new. way. Um, like there might've been like a, a like a, one of those three level archetypes somewhere, but I, I don't mm-hmm. re- recall having seen it. It is also uncommon, but like the idea that like you know, there are a hundred Duskwalkers at any time. Uh, they are all servants of Phrasma in like kind of like ways to like uh, you know bring stuff back to the Bone Yard in the most part. Um, I think this is really cool. Uh, I it's it's like one of the more flavorful things in here. Um, uh, we finally got um, like my favorite uh, Pathfinder or D and D races Cobalt, so we got that, and I'm very happy about that. I like the shout-out in, uh, kind of, like, there's the ways you can get into Draconic uh, or uh, Dragon Disciple are either be uh, a, uh, a, a Dragon Bloodline Barbarian, a which is, uh, or a, uh, a Dragon Bloodline Sorcerer, or be a Kobold, which I think is a very cool kind of set of circumstances for them. Uh, I love Kobolds. I think they're, they're, they're super fun to play. Uh, uh, I think that what they do with the Orc stuff is pretty neat, um, too. Um, and, uh, uh, rat folk are kind of there. Uh, they, they were the ones that I passed the most over. Uh, do you have any thoughts about the ancestries? I love rat folk in general. Um, obviously as like a Warhammer guy, I've always loved the Skaven. And so like rat folk as Skaven is, is, is a neat thing in, in my eyes. Um, there's also the Nozumi in Magic the Gathering that, that are like a black aligned tribe 
that I that I think are pretty cool. Um, Catfolk, I was hyped for when I saw immediately, but they turned out to kind of like not be quite what I was looking for, uh, especially when it comes to their art. I would highly recommend everyone turn to page 11 of the APG if you are like reading along with us now and just like take a look at the legs on this cat thief and how unnatural they look and I want to and I want to yeah, like they're uh, like the, facing the, the wrong way. Yeah, they're like facing the wrong way and like it almost kind of looks like he's like twisting his whole back. I don't even know. Um I don't love that they kind of stand on uh like their 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 paws like that. I mean, you also see it in the um in the, like the base catfolk guy, uh, I've always loved catfolk. Obviously, you know, like I introduced the Leyden in basically any system that I I can get my hands on as a um, as a class because I think that that is like a neat look and and it fills a cool sort of void in the world. Um, you know, ca- the, the Leyden sort of function like Dragonborn function a little bit in five e, four uh, e and five e. Um, and I was sort of hoping for something sort of similar with the Catfolk, and I just did not get that. Um, so, big rip. Yeah, I I, like, I, I don't think these are, are laying in, essentially. Right? Like, I think there's room for, like, a laying in if one if they want to, like, make one, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, I kind of... I do like the, the kind of luck stuff there. Um, yeah, that's cool. Uh, it reminds me a little of Khajiit, which I also love, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So, so there's, there's, there's okay stuff. There's neat stuff. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to point out because it occurred to me while you were speaking about it is that the rat folk are probably like raised in importance because they are like one of the base races in Starfinder. Um, uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 If you read it, like that's, you know, they're called like, you know, I guess it's like the. The the uh, the inner sea calls them rat folk. You know, it's funny. I have not played Starfinder in so long that I kind of forgot about Yusoki as yeah. a Starfinder race. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's funny because like the official title is rat folk, but the first line's like, but most service building human race call the Yusoki rat folk. Um, you know, which is like I don't know. It's weird that they don't call them Yusoki in the in the, in the like they call the Tengu Tengu instead of like a bird people or whatever you would call them. Yeah. Crowman. Uh, raven folk. Yeah, raven folk. There we go. Um, uh, but, you know, it works. Um, but, yeah. Uh, you have anything else you want to highlight before we move on to our weeks? No, I do not. I do not. I guess that that is the APG. Uh, At some point, I will, I will dip my toe into Pathfinder 2 land, and I'm sure I'll have much more complicated and, and you know, nuanced thoughts about all of this. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. All right. Well then, uh, how was your week, buddy? Uh, how was my week? Uh, my week's pretty good. I actually mostly played WoW. I got like weirdly back onto the WoW train, which sucks because I had gotten off the WoW train in in a you know, and I was playing Warhammer. I was doing all this other sort of stuff. Um, and so, uh, it I I well, I don't really know what happened. I just got back into playing WoW, and it actually kind of sucks a little bit because something that I had done is I had bought my Brutosaur, right, the five million gold mount with the auction house on it, like super, you know, like like very cool, big achievement. I feel great about it. Um, and then I liquidated everything. I took all of my crafting materials and I sold them all on the auction house as cheap as I possibly could just to get rid of them, right? Because the, the thing that tends to happen to me is at the end of the expansion, I'm like, ah, oh, I should sell this stuff off, but then it's like going for like pennies, basically. Um, 
And so I was like, aha, well, instead of, you know, sitting on a bunch of, like, Shaldurai silk that I should have sold, I will sell all of my stuff now and get a profit out of it. Which I did, but now I'm like, ah, oh, boy, I have to, like, buy an enchant off the auction house. I used to have the mats for this enchant, but I don't have them anymore because uh, I, I sold all that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, the, the thing that has really gotten me back into it is I've been doing Mythic Plus again. Um, which really came out of Diablo 3. So I did the whole Diablo 3 season for whatever season this is, like season 21. And I was pushing my, my greater rift keys higher and higher. And I was just like, man, you know what? I really want to get back into Mythic Plus. And then a friend of mine was like, hey, like uh, we're looking for a Mythic Plus group. And we did it. And I just had a really great time. And I was like, all right, this is, this is my shit. So we are now meeting on like a weekly basis to, to run our, our Mythic keys together. Nice. Um, and it's funny because the keys in Diablo were easy. You know what I mean? Um, and I was pushing them and I was, like, getting there or whatever. But, like, the WoW keys are just, like, pretty brutal. Uh, we've, we must have done maybe ten dungeons over the course of the week. And I think we only timed, uh, like, two or three of them. Which maybe is just, like, we're at that kind of, like, upper echelon. Uh, and part of it is also that I'm, I'm swapping to DPS for most of the expansion I have been uh, tanking. So I don't have, like, you know, I have DPS gear in the sense that I have gear that is high eye level that will, you know, give me strength or whatever. But it is not um, optimized. super optimized. Right, yeah, like, arms wants crit haste, whereas... Uh, protection wants haste mastery so i have a lot of haste mastery gear but mastery is not good for arms warriors um so you know big rip big rip to that but i but i think that there's just like there's a really neat kind of tactical piece to mythic plus that that is making it uh interesting and it feels like i'm over to like i'm getting that sort of mastery over time right where you're you're recognizing like oh this pull is really tough right and we have to approach it in this sort of way this is going to be you know, one thing is going to be another thing, right? Like, doing the boss mechanics to a T, right? Like, in the same way that progression rating feels good because of all that stuff, doing Mythic Plus feels good, I guess, also because of um, because of all that stuff. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes perfect sense, right? Like that, like, that level of satisfaction is, like, the satisfaction I used to feel with, like, or I still feel when I play them with, like, uh, like the super hard platformers or, like, say, a Hotline Miami. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, being able to... Like, we were able to time a chest this week that was like a 13 or a 14 so so the the meta achieve what we're looking for basically is the equivalent of okay so do you remember a couple of weeks ago maybe a couple of months ago at this point where um it had been announced that the brutosaur was going away at the end of this expansion right and i came at it with this take where it's like all of the other very high-end pieces of wow are um Get, like time gated right so if you are a gladiator which you where you have the very highest pvp rating you get a special mount and you can only get it in a certain amount of time if you are a mythic raider um you and you want like the mythic mount that will drop off of the very very end boss of a mythic raid that will only last for the expansion and if you are a um and if you are an, a mythic plus person they have added a new achievement where if you do all of the dungeons at plus 15 in time, you get a mount out of that, uh, which is very set, which, uh, which is like, wow, that's like satisfying. And if you do them all at plus 10, you get like a title. So plus 10 is kind of like a heroic raider in a way. Um, 
plus 15 is like a mythic raider, right? If you're able to do all 15, you're kind of like on that sort of mythic raider level. And so it's sort of neat that WoW has created these parallel tracks of progression um, where it's like, if I am a, you know, like if I am a mythic raider, I get this cool stuff. And that's kind of equivalent to being a gladiator in PvP and it's kind of equivalent to being, right, a keystone master in uh, in mythic plus. Um yeah. And so, you know, yeah, that just stuff is neat and it's cool, I guess. No, that makes perfect sense, too, because, like, the, the Ruta story even fits into that, right? Like, you know, it's like, I am I am a, a king merchant socializer. Yeah, th- this was my argument at the time. Everybody was really mad that the Brutusaur was going away because they had never done this with, like, a mount before. And first of all, it's not going away. It is going to the black market auction house, which is going to decrease its rarity, obviously. Uh, or, I'm sorry, increase its rarity, obviously. It's not just going to be, like, up whenever you want it. Um, but that that just kind of feels like in the same way that I could get, um, you know, if I go back and I farm uh, the Lich King, I could get Invincible to drop, right? right. Uh, which was, you know, now it has a 1% drop rate. It used to have a 100% drop rate when it was, like, current content. Same thing with, like, the Mythic Mounts on, like, Gul'dan from Legion, right? Like, he drops a Mythic, uh, a special Infernal Mount on Mythic, and it had a 100% drop rate every week when... Gul'dan was still a, you know, like, was was still current content. But, yeah, but now if I were to go back, I could get it, but it, the drop rate is, like, 0.5% or whatever yeah. the number is. Um, and so that's, that's how I feel about the Brutosaur. And as an owner of a Brutosaur, I now look look down on the peasants. Ha, 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 ha. You didn't put the time in like I did, you losers. You don't get my cool mount, yeah, right? Like, well, from... <laughs> that's part of it, right? Like, that's, that's like... Uh... That's that's kind of like I, I think that's like super valid though, right? Like that's like the uh, the the point almost, right? Like that mm-hmm. that you know, you, like this is a thing that indicates that I was this special when this happened, right? Like almost like the uh, like I feel like maybe the uh, the Anchorage mounts were a little bit too much in that direction, but like that's uh, I, th- I think that's like a valuable thing to kind of like you know like um, the 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 Destiny people talk about like you know. I want like they want people to tell stories about how they got their particular exotics. I think they, I think the Destiny people have mostly failed at that, um, <laughs> uh, just because like exotics are either not so hard to get or like an infuriating grind to get in a way that like doesn't feel super super satisfying. Um, uh, like I, I, I think that like this. I'm not going to talk about Destiny because you know I I haven't played in a while. But but I think that like WoW has actually gotten that down pretty well. It sounds like. Um, yeah. No. Be, and it, and it's something that reflects in other parts of the game as well, right? Like obviously, um, if I want Mythic Transmog, I can go get you know like I can go back in time, go to Warlords of Draenor raids on Mythic difficulty and farm them solo, right? No no challenger skill necessary kind of thing. And so it's sort of partitioning and saying like, all right, listen. If you want to look, you know, like, if you want the cool appearances, that's legal. That's fair. This is something that we think all players should be able to get, right? In the moment, it's going to be tough, right? In For the current expansion, getting that mythic suit of armor out of uh, Nihilotha is, like, that's a difficult thing. And that would be, like, really hard. But if you go back and we're going to look at, you know, whatever... Pandaria or something. Um, people should be able to get the Mythic Transmog out of there. Th- this is something that we think should be accessible, basically, right? But those mounts is something that we think should be inaccessible. It should be hard to get, require a certain amount of, basically, RNG grinding and dedication if you want to do it after the fact, or hardcore kind of skill and dedication if you want to do it kind of, like, inside of the fact. Um, and the... 
and the, and the same thing kind of holds true for all of these different, you know, like for all of these different sorts of systems um, where there is something where if you really want to hunt for it, if you really want to get there, you could get that thing and it's going to go away soon. So like work on it now, which is sort of what we're doing with these mythics, right? We are working on that plus 15 achievement because in a couple of weeks, you know what I mean? Like it could be gone um, and we want to and we want to get there by you know as soon as we can i guess right like um and it's possible that we fail at those sorts of things right obviously starting this late in the game it's been eight months that we've been sitting on nihilotha i'm sure the pre-patch is around the corner right you know it might be five or six weeks away who knows and, but like the the version of things where we do get there like wouldn't that be so sweet right yeah um so yeah uh the other thing i've been doing is i've been playing scholomance the new Hearthstone expansion is out. We talked all about it a couple of weeks ago with uh, with friend of the cast, Aaron. Uh, there's a whole bunch of new stuff happening, uh, and the meta is developing in a really interesting way. I'm, I'm in this position where I kind of feel a little rock, paper, scissorsy, right? Like, I feel like I, I load into a game, and I see a druid, and I just want to pull my fucking hair out. But then I load into a game, and I see a death knight, and I'm just like, ha-ha, easy, right? You know? Uh, where certain matchups, I, I'm just gonna kill it, and other ones, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get uh, sort of stomped and brutalized. But I'm beginning to get a sense that the the core thing that's happening, which is good ultimately, is we are returning to a more mid range meta. Uh, a long time ago, we had Jimmy on the cast, who's a competitive Magic the Gather the gathering player and he said the best metas are mid range metas, where you have aggressive decks pushing on the lower end, and you have controlling decks and drawing games out on the higher end but the best decks in the game are these mid-range mid-range decks and if you were to look at hearthstone esports over the last four months uh we we had a mid-range meta um tempo warrior and highlander hunter were very very strong classes that were showing up kind of everywhere and i would say those are very definitively sort of mid-range uh mid-range decks but in the in the experience of ladder, and I can't quite tell why this is. My experience was dominated by Murloc Paladin and by Aggro Demon Hunter, right? So it was very on the low end of the of the of the curve. And I had a good time because my decks were very tuned against that stuff. I had a very easy time dealing with Murloc Paladin and Aggro Demon Hunter on my Quest Warrior deck that I put in, you know, however many hundreds of games in. Um, maybe like 150 games in over the course of the the expansion. Uh, but now it feels like we are tr like truly and traditionally moving into that mid-range place where not only is the best deck in the metagame a mid-range deck, right? Um, but it is a, it is a, it is truly showing up all the time. And I'm seeing this Guardian Animals Druid deck or I am seeing, you know, um, a, uh, a mid-rangey version of Pure Paladin. Though it, Airs a little bit on the side of value. One of the interesting things about Hearthstone that's happened over the last couple of years is that control decks have become even more controlling. Uh, and so, like, like for instance, when I was first playing Hearthstone in, like, 2014 and I was playing Control Warrior, I think we would look at that deck now and say that was a mid-range deck, even though it, for the time it was a control deck. Now the control decks draw the games out so late and are just so full of removal and are using kind of, like fatigue as a as a win condition that they are like the truest of the true control decks um versus a, a long time ago where it was like you know all right you 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 ramp out you get your fatties and then you know, yeah I, I feel like that was like 
bound to happen. I think this kind of happened with Magic too, right? Like the different the reason that Magic is still controlling now is because it's been around for like you know like twenty years, um, longer than that even. Uh, but like to, to your point, right? Like the early game, the base game is always going to be kind of like around like the core, mid, like mid range is kind of like what you design the game for, and then the expansions kind of push out the edges. I think, I think that happened with Magic. I think it sounds like it's happening with Touchstone. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah, and it's kind of neat. Like I like those super long control matches. I think that they're super fun, and I and I and I love to go into them, especially on like character, you know, like on on classes that I that are built for it in a way like so for instance that quest warrior the the thing about the quest warrior deck is i had an incredibly good win rate against priest the deck was built to beat aggro demon hunter but i was also at the same time beating the highest you know like the the heights of control which was galakrond priest um because the thing about gal so galakrond has a hero power that says add a random priest spell or priest minion to your hand so the whole point of the the priest control deck is to literally and fundamentally outvalue you you cannot outvalue that galakrond priest deck right but the way that my control warrior deck would slip across that line and kill it is that my hero power when i'm when i'm a quest warrior even though it's finite right it's much more finite than the theoretically infinite value of um the galakrond priest hero power it is summon a four three and then if you attack with your hero refresh it so basically it is four mana summon two four threes as long as i have a weapon equipped that i can attack with right right and the thing is is that so i am a control deck to the aggro to you know like to the aggro demon hunter i am looking to remove his shit and i'm going to outvalue him over time by just like playing these effectively four threes all the time and eventually i'm gonna be able to clear his board stabilize and attack face with my with my big beefy boys until i win but to the priest i am the aggro deck where i am out tempoing the priest because he's spending every turn he's spending two mana on generating a minion in his hand and then he can maybe spend the mana in his hand to play that minion i'm spending four mana to put two oversatted four minion four three minions on the board every turn right and eventually that the priest just runs out of good removal for that right like an 8-6 that I can play every turn for 4 mana right onto the field with my hero power is just always going to out-tempo those, um, those priest matchups. So in a certain sense, I'm playing the kind of like that mid-range, in that mid-range band, but I really, it's like the, it's like the way that, uh, Junki used to talk about, you know, you always have to understand w when are you the aggro deck and when are you the control deck? Um, when do you have the initiative and when are you responding to the opponent's kind of initiative? Uh, I still am playing a bunch of different things. I've been actually playing a very true control warrior, which is pretty fun. Uh, that doesn't look to go infinite, but does effectively look to generate infinite value with Rattlegore, which is a truly fantastic minion who just yells Rattlegore at the top of his lungs. Um, Rattlegore is a 9-mana 9-9 that has a death rattle to resummon it with minus 1, minus 1. So it's a 9-mana 9-9, and then he resummons as an 8-8, resummons as a 7-7, resummons as a 6-6, resummons as a, you know all the way down to a 1-1, one, one, right? Um, which means unless you have silence or some sort of equivalent silence effect, you just lose to Radagore value over time, uh, which is kind of just neat and has been super and has been super fun and super great. So I guess, I don't know, that, 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 that's been my week. WoW and, uh, and Hearthstone. Excellent. Uh, well, for my week, I have done a bunch of different things. Uh, first, I platinumed uh, Ghost of Tsushima, uh, finished that game out wow. and did all of the achievements. Um, some of the achievements are kind of bullshit. 
Um, like there's like I like one of the hidden achievements is like basically dress up like Sly Cooper. Um, like there's a bunch of stuff in the game that like lets you like kind of look like him. Um, and you know I think that's neat, but I also think that one that shouldn't be hidden. That should be a thing with a name, so you can maybe guess what it is. Um, but that aside, that's like a very relatively minor gripe. Um, the game is beautiful. Um, I think the game is a little too easy. Like I was like after like. I started on hard, and then while I was playing, they introduced a harder mode, and I upped it to that, and I still thought it was a little bit too easy. Um, I think this is kind of like we talked about this before, like the Ubi effect, right? Like, that's, that, that sniper rifle, that silent sniper rifle means you've basically won the game. Um, once you get enough tools, it's not as bad as that in Tsushima, but once you get enough tools, it's kind of easy to steamroll over things. So everything to play carefully. That being said, the duels, which are kind of one-on-one fights uh, with various characters, are so well done that um, I think it kind of, like, makes up for it in a way. Um, they are tough. You can't really steamroll them as, as easily, and you kind of have to be on your game to play them. Um, the game closes super strong, um, super beautiful. Um, so uh, just to kind of put it into perspective, uh, uh, this week Zero Punctuation was on it, and Yahtzee was not a fan. He thought it was just kind of, like, another kind of, like, open world ubi type of game and i think that's like interesting a, wow i haven't heard that name in a long time yahtzee yeah well I, I, i've been watching zero punctuation for like probably close to 10 years now wow yeah no i remember when i was originally watching um uh zero punctuation and it's been a long time since then yeah. um and i i think that critic like the criticisms you bring up in the video are somewhat fair um and a comment that i saw below that i, I think I, I agree with this. Like, if you have to play all these games back to back forever for your job, you're probably sick of them. But I haven't played a newbie open world game in a while, probably not since Far Cry uh, Four. Um, and so this was this was still a lot of fun to me, and it was a game that I felt compelled enough to, to end. I also think it's significantly better than a lot of kind of the the more generic versions of this, um, just because like I think a lot of the mechanics are more meaningful. Um, and the map isn't quite as studded with, like, a million things to do. There are some, but, like... And there are some, like, minor annoyances, but I think for the most part, they, everything feels pretty good. There's some weak side, weaker side stories, but I think that, like, the, like, like the, the main... There's, like, the main story and the main side stories, which are the, the big characters. Um, Sensei Ishikawa, uh, Lady Adachi, and Yuna. Um, those are all... Su- and Kenji. There's also Kenji. Can't forget Kenji. And, uh... I think those are all super strong. Also, Nori, the monk, which is a guy who shows up a little bit later into the game. But those are all super strong, right? and they're super worth playing. And the game is just so pretty. Um, if you've seen my Twitter, you've seen me take various screenshots, some less serious than others. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a fantastic game, and I can't recommend it enough um, to people that, like, like if, you, if you enjoy those kind of open-world games, and especially if you enjoy the samurai stuff, recommend it. Um, like is it like like if if there wasn't the PS5 barrier, buddy? I think this game would be like tailor made for you. Um, yeah. No, I mean I don't know. I I, I, I PS- talked before about how I was ready to get a PS4. I just assumed it would be two three hundred bucks, not four hundred bucks. But I'm thinking I might pick up the bundle, right? Yeah. Like a four hundred dollar bundle with like you know God of War and Spider Man or whatever. Because there are a couple of other of these PS4 exclusives that I want to play, which is really how they get you, and I kind of hate it, right? Yeah. Um, it's funny because like I like. Microsoft more because they are making games that are accessible to me. I played uh, The Outer Worlds, right? Um, And I think that in a certain sense they're doing the right thing because they are uh, picking up my money more easily than the PS4 or than the Sony guys are. Um, 
I bought the Outer World. You know, I just sixty bucks because it was on Windows, and I want to play it on on Windows. Um, and I'm probably gonna do the same thing with their Pillars Elder Scrolls game, whatever that thing is called, Avowed or something. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, Sony is hypothetically gonna get me to chill out for uh, for a console, which is not something that Microsoft was able to get me to do. So you, you should check Craigslist and get one used, and uh, I'm sure that there will be some soon, especially. Of people yeah. being like, you know, oh, I got to get the PS5, I don't need the PS4 anymore. Um, and then you could screw Sony out of their money. Um, and I don't have any shares in them right now, so I don't care. Uh, uh, but uh, on the, uh, in other news, um, uh, long-time listeners will know that I'm a big fan of Enter the Gungeon. I have 122.6 hours in the game, and I finally beat the game with one of the characters. Um, this probably Wait, speaks, really? yeah, this, this, this probably speaks more to wow. my, my, my like not so greatness at the game. But, uh, uh-huh. um, I also realized that in, in, so the, the way the game works is it's like you go down through the dungeon, through the dungeon rather. And, uh, if you do the thing, like you have to beat it a couple times to get all the conditions to line up. But if you do, you get, um, you, you essentially get an opportunity to like play a scene in the, in the character's past. Um, and I had gotten to the, the pilot's past twice um, before, and it failed there. I realized it's because I was not using all the tools available to me. It's basically the pilot has a shmup as, like, his final thing, and he has, like, mm-hmm. a missile button that I just realized I, didn't, I wasn't using. Um, and that's probably why I, I didn't kill it, and I'm going to blame it on that. But I have finally killed the past with the pilot. I don't know if I'll ever play the game again, but it was, it's excellent and has brought me many, many hours of joy. Um, other things I have done, I played some Fall Guys, which is a new game, which is a super fun, it's technically a battle royale, but it's more like, it's like a goofy platformer rather than a, uh... Yeah, a, I mean, it's been all over Twitter, they have yeah. 500k concurrence on, on Twitch. Yeah, no, it uh, is... Which is, you know, huge. It is an incredibly streamable game, which is probably why it's so popular, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's, it's... I've played a little bit of it, it's super fun. Um, Super Bunny Hop did a video on Hunt Showdown... Um, which is a game I had bought a couple of years ago, but never really put a ton of time to. I played a couple of games really? this weekend in front of the cast. Yeah, I saw his video. I thought it was really great and well done, and had a lot of details that I thought were. Awesome. Yeah, and the game is neat. It's very slow. Uh, so if you're into the action pack thing, like I, I think front of the cast, Monic was not as hyped on it because it was a lot of kind of like plotting for like very short gunplay, and then uh, then uh, you know, and then if you lose, you lose real real fast. Yeah, like the real life hide and seek aspect of it I feel like is the biggest draw and so unless you're kind of trying to play a stealth game with other people right like that game is not for you yeah and like it's the biggest draw and it's also probably the biggest repulsor but it is it, it was neat I'd play more of it um, uh, 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 I also jumped back into season 5 of, uh, of, of Modern Warfare um, basically because after we played a couple rounds of Hunt Showdown Monica was like, you want to play some Warzone? I was like, eh, okay. And so we downloaded the update. Um, that game is still what it is. Um, I've like, heard that there's a, cause there's a train, right? And it's yes, like there's a new train. The whole thing. Yes. Okay. Um, it is, that seems honestly so fucking cool. <laughs> like, I want to go to the train every game now. It's Not uh, that I even have it downloaded anymore. So the, the train is also a thing that's, like, lifted from, from Apex. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, and Wait, really? Apex had a train? In season two. Uh, or okay, not, I maybe did not, not season two, season. but the new, the new like right. Apex had a train with its most recent season, um, and uh, and like it's. I also think that like Modern Warfare has less reason to go to the train, right? Like because you just kind of like 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 rotate around your uh, your your uh, 
uh, your, your loadout, there's like less reason to, to necessarily go to the train. Um, I think there's there's a new contract type, which is basically you pick up the contract and then you get a discount at a buy station, which I think is a actually a very cool innovation because it makes it self-revive free or like buying back a teammate free. So um, they make, it makes them very valuable. You go to Fortnite as all or nothing. It's the, the King of the Hill contracts, which um, revive your whole team, but you basically it, it, it uh, incentivizes like hiding in the corner for like three minutes. Um, but you know, it's a cool new season. I don't know how much I'm going to put into it, but it's, it's fun to derp around in. Um, and the big thing, at least for this cast that I did is I, uh, I bought vampire coast and I booted up total war Warhammer two for the first time in three years. Um, Woof. Uh, did we talk actually about the, did we talk about the what else stuff on cast? I don't remember. I don't think so. Yeah, so some very crazy news has come out, uh, which is that the next Total War DLC is going to be for the Wood Elves. The Wood Elves were a DLC faction of the very first game, um, and people have for a long time had this question, well, like, how is, you know, Creative Assembly going to deal with DLC for DLC, right? do people get to play the wood elves if they, you know what I mean? Like, are you releasing a Lord, a Lord pack modifies a faction and a faction pack adds a faction, right? So when you release a Lord pack, are, do you have to have the faction pack to get the bonuses? That's not the way that it works out. Um, and they have a whole thing, like a, a like a tiered system, so that if you did purchase the, the original DLC, you get a big like benefit out of it and everything. But yeah, it's nuts. I'm insanely hyped because the Wood Elves have been my favorite faction for forever. Uh, did you Have you started playing as Vampire Coast? Yeah, I, I haven't put a ton of time in. I did kind of like, I defeated the Mutineers. I'm playing as Lord Harkon. Uh, just because, yeah. like, he, he, he seemed like the character that, like, I was like, do I want to pay for the Vampire Coast? I was like, you know what? Yes, this is, like, a faction that, like, speaks to, like, what I like in these types of games. So mm-hmm. I'll definitely go for it. Um, uh, I defeated Lord Hark, or I, I defeated the, the Mutineers, and uh, the Lizard People declared war on me, and there's also, like, a tree wandering around in my lands. Um, I haven't played it. I have maybe done, like, half a dozen turns, but uh, mm-hmm. that's, like... And I'm going to put more into it. But I will save some of that because I believe next week we're going to be doing uh, you know, a three-year mark retrospective with a uh, friend of the cast, X, uh, if he's available, about the uh, the current state of the game. And so I think that's a good place to leave it, unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about. Uh, no, 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 no. We can, we, can get into, we can get into that in a big old cast. I have so many thoughts about Total War Hammer. Uh, I'm sure you do. I'm sure X does, too, given that he's... He, he, I think he plays not maybe not quite as much as you, but it's been like his main game for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. I also know that uh, uh, another friend of the cast, uh, Barry Beraldo Tree, has also put in a gazillion hours of uh, to World Warhammer 2. I have 830 hours, but I don't know how many Barry has, but I think it's probably more than me, uh, especially because he has 72 pl- hours played recently. I am subtweeting the shit out of you. Oh, nope, he has less than me. He only has 795 hours played total. Gotta step it up. Barry, get in, get in there. For comparison, I have nine point eight, uh, which is more than I thought, actually. But you know, uh, but yeah, uh, that's been our cast. If you'd like to email us about uh, about the APG or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at subversplaygames at gmail.com or pockets at subversplaygames.com. You can follow us on uh, a bunch of different sites. The links are all in the description. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, donate to us on Patreon if you feel like it. Um, that's everything I had, but do you have anything else you want to promote? 
Uh, I'm doing another Buddy Gets Good stream this Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. And the VOD for the most recent episode, which I think is Gone Viral Episode 3, will be going up sometime this week, hopefully Wednesday or Thursday. So Excellent. Keep an eye out. I will. Has he slowed down the uh, subtitles? I did, yeah. I came from that note. I was like, all right, you got you to gotta, you gotta slow it down, my dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, for, uh, since we talked about this off-cast, for, for those of you at home, uh, the subtitles are not super fast normally, but I watch all these videos on double speed because I'm a maniac and I can't read the subtitles. So, you know, uh, good to know that my, my influence is worth something. <laughs> uh, yeah, shout, big shout-out to my boy Brian. Uh yeah, uh, he, he's an excellent editor, and uh, I enjoy watching the VOTs, so definitely credit to him. Uh, especially where he's, like, calling out how, like, bad you are at things. Uh, yeah, yeah, yep, that, yep. <laughs> God Modern has a lot of cool stuff coming up down the pike, which I'm very excited to talk about, but, you know, I guess nothing to announce here. Yeah, well, uh, in that case, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>